There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Is the word Om a powerful and mystical word, or is it just an empty syllable? Five major religions revere the word Om in a very pronounced way, and those religions are Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, Hinduism, and New Age spirituality. In fact, it is so celebrated in Hinduism that it is the recognized emblem of that religion. Hinduism is the only religion to have a word as its primary iconic symbol. So yes, Om is considered that important in those religions, and it is that highly regarded. In Hinduism, Om is one of the most important spiritual sounds. This one-word syllable is often found at the beginning and the end of chapters in the Vedas, the Upanishads, and other sacred Hindu texts. It is often chanted either independently by itself or at the beginning or end of other mantras. It is used as a sacred spiritual incantation made before or during the reciting of certain texts or during puja, which is a Hindu word for worship uh, or a time of devotion and private prayers. It is also commonly used in ceremonial rites of passage like marriage. And so this one word, this one syllable word is considered extremely sacred. It's the sacred symbol of Brahman, which is ultimate reality in Hinduism. Brahman is the impersonal life force that flows through the entire universe. And this one word is so associated with Brahman that it is actually called Shabda Brahman. That's S-H-A-B-D-A, Shabda Brahman, which means Brahman as sound. So it is ultimate reality. It is God in the form of a sound. That's exalting that word to a very prominent position. It is believed to be the primordial sound of the universe that accompanied the manifestation of the universe in the very beginning. So chanting the word Om is supposed to be an instant way of connecting with and accessing the origin of all things and experiencing a conscious awareness of oneness with all things. Are these ideas true or is this all just religious fantasy? I need to go a little bit deeper into the explanation before I respond with my point of view. When Om is chanted, it is often stretched into three elongated syllables. It's stretched out into the sound A, 
and U and M. And those three sounds represent the three chief deities at the head of the Hindu pantheon. Brahma, which is the creator god, Vishnu, which is the preserver god, and Shiva, which is the destroyer god. And so when a person chants Om, especially in that more lengthy way or elongated way, it is an invocation to those three deities to come and manifest in the heart and the life of the meditator, the one who is chanting that one-word mantra. So does that happen? Do those gods really respond, or do demonic powers impersonating those gods manifest in the life of the person who reveres this word to such degree. Now, of course, as a believer, as a Christian believer, I accept the concept that demons impersonate these deities, that the Hindu pantheon is non-existent. There are 330 million gods and goddesses, that's the traditional number, that supposedly have manifested out of this impersonal force called Brahman. And i personally am convinced, absolutely convinced, that none of them are real. They're all fabrications of the human imagination. All right, when Om is chanted in, as one word, it is a prayerful proclamation that the meditator intends to achieve this conscious oneness with Brahman. And that involves for some Hindus, for about 50% of those who embrace Hinduism, they believe that that means that the individual soul, which is called Atman, is actually one and the same as Brahman, that we are God, that the individual soul and the oversoul are one and the same, which I I am absolutely sure is the antithesis of the truth, the absolute opposite of the truth. We are not God. We will never be God. And that traces all the way back to the lie that was told to Adam and Eve in the beginning. Now, in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 9, verse 17, Krishna is quoted as saying, I am the purifier, the goal of knowledge, the sacred syllable Om. So, according to that passage, Krishna claims that he is the embodiment of the spiritual meaning of that word and the power that is associated with that word. And so, Krishna devotees will uh, connect the dots between that word and the deity that they worship. Strangely, the guru I studied under back in 1970 tried to validate the use of the word Om in meditation by referencing the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. This says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he said that verse is actually a reference to the word Om. Well, no, it's not. Now, verse 14 of the same chapter says the word was made flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so for Jesus to fulfill the role of the eternal word, it meant that he was the fullness of truth in a bodily form, that he was the sum total and he is the sum total of all the words that have ever been spoken from God, by God, from the beginning to the very end. He is the eternal word. It has absolutely nothing to do with this Hindu word that is so revered. Other Far Eastern teachers that I studied under back in the latter 60s and early part of 1970 tried to liken the word Om to the biblical word Amen. And yet there's no connection between those two words either because the biblical word Amen is a word of affirmation. It means so be it. And it was used at the end of prayerful statements in the Bible, the end of psalm statements that make a declaration of a certain truth, a certain concept, and the word amen is like a solidification of that truth. It was especially used at the end of a blessing or a curse, and it bound the one affirming that blessing or affirming that curse to the manifestation of one or the other in his or her life. When the worshiper would say, amen, it was his way of saying, let that be manifested in my life, or let that rule, that commandment, that declaration have authority in my life. Once again, the word amen has absolutely nothing to do with the word om. Now, let me tell you for a few moments about an experience I had with quote-unquote Christian yogis. I believe that's an oxymoron because I do not believe you can mix Christianity and yoga. I believe they are absolutely incompatible. You cannot remove yoga from the Hindu belief system, and you cannot mix Christianity with it. But I once visited a yoga studio in West Virginia where the leaders claimed to be Christian, very vehemently they claimed to be Christian, and yet they had the symbol of the word Om painted on the back wall of their studio. And I questioned their use of that word. I, I, I said it represents a false belief altogether, and it represents false deities, Vishnu and Shiva and Brahma. And they said I was just being narrow-minded, they became quite upset with me and said it was perfectly compatible with the biblical worldview. But see, that's impossible because the God of the Bible is triune in nature, but the Godhead is not an impersonal life force. The Godhead is made up of a very personal God who is so personal with us, he refers to himself as the everlasting Father, not a force, a Father. Can I repeat that? Not a force, but a father. And he expresses himself, the, the Godhead expresses it, itself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And both the Son and the Holy Spirit are also personal expressions of God 
to us. And so the God of the Bible and the God of Hinduism are completely different. The Hindu triad of Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva is not the same as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you go into the myths associated with Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, they are imperfect gods with all kinds of flaws in their personality and all kinds of conflicts between them. And there's no conflict between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and no flaws in their personalities because they are perfect in all their ways. So it's impossible to mix the two together. Besides, in Hindu theology, there's a certain point where all the gods and goddesses at the end of lengthy ages revert back to Godhead and cease to exist, and then they have to be reborn again. Well, no such thing exists in biblical theology. Trying to mix the worship of the true God with the symbol of Om is similar to me, to the story found in 1 Samuel chapter 5, how the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they tried to put it in the Temple of Dagon, which was a primary deity that they worshipped that was half God, and that was half man and half fish. From the waist downward, it looked like a fish. From the waist upward, it looked like a man. And they stuck the Ark of the Covenant in there. Now, of course, the Ark was just a container of the glory of God that rested on the mercy seat in between the cherubim. Well, when the priests of Dagon came back the next morning, their God had fallen on his face, and they had to re-erect him. Aren't you glad you don't serve a God that every now and then you find fallen on his face, and you have to help him get back up? And, of course, that was a mistake, because they were trying to reverse something God had done to indicate that he was the chief and only and sole creator of the universe and that this was a false god and he refused to share a temple with a false god. When they came back the next morning, not only was their deity on his face again, but his head was decapitated and his hands were cut off. And so they realized, much to their shock, that it was an unacceptable thing to try and mix the two. And I believe it was an absolutely unacceptable thing for people who claim to be Christian to have a yoga studio with the word OM on the back wall of the studio. And you should read the whole story in 1 Samuel chapter 5 to get the full appreciation of what happened that day. But they sent the ark back to Israel because they realized they had angered the true and the living God who refused to share a temple with an idol. And he refuses to share the life of a believer with false religious practices. Now, I've had other yoga advocates who claim to be Christian tell me that when they're in a yoga class and the people begin to chant the word Om, they simply claim the protection of the blood of Jesus, and under their breath, they'll say the name Jesus over and over while the class says the word Om. And I've warned them over and over again against such a practice because, first of all, the word Om is like a sound portal 
that allows demonic spirits to infiltrate the room and the hearts and minds and lives of the meditators who are chanting that word. A Christian would not want to, number one, fail to reveal the source, the dark source of what's going on. And to fail to bring it up is compromise. And not to stand against the the use of that word is to actually show acceptance of it. And then secondly, you certainly would not want to be in the room when a door is being opened spiritually to a demonic realm, to dark spirits. Now, Paul was very strong in promoting that there should never be a mixture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, listen to what he said. The things which Gentiles sacrifice, and in this case it's the sacrifice of a meditative chanting of a single word. The things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Furthermore, and this is the strongest argument, Jesus in his first main sermon definitely identified this method from Far Eastern religions as being faulty and erroneous. In Matthew 6, 7, he said, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions like the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Why would Jesus identify that practice as being so wrong? Because if meditation techniques are monotone and mechanical and magical and manipulative and and the chanting of a word over and over and over again is supposed to somehow manipulate the power of that word into lifting you to a higher state of consciousness. All of that is really witchcraft. It's illegitimate spiritual power. And it's not the way to approach a personal God. You would not approach a fellow human being in that manner uh, in order to get someone to do something for you. Pass the plate across the table at a dinner. You wouldn't chant a dozen times, please pass the plate. It would be absolutely unnecessary and an insult to the person's intelligence. All you have to do is say in a very conversational way, please pass the plate. And prayer is the same thing. You don't manipulate God by the repetition of certain phrases over and over again. That's an insult to the intelligence of God. God wants sweet and heartfelt communion with himself. A flow of words that comes worshipfully out of your inner being. He's not impressed by or controlled by numerous utterances repeated in a monotone manner. Quite the opposite. He shuns that. He would never respond to that. And so chanting mantras and chanting the word Om is a futile and fruitless practice. So I started out by asking the question, is the word om a mystical sound or an empty syllable? And I'd have to say no to both 
uh, expressions. No, it's not a mystical sound. It's not a powerful utterance that has some kind of spiritual potency attached to it that enables you to achieve some high place of consciousness. But it's not just an empty syllable either, because it is a vehicle through which demonic spirits infiltrate the hearts and minds and lives of those who reverence this word. I hope that's been instructive to you. I hope that's been helpful to you. And now you understand why a Christian going to some yoga class is bound to be influenced in a negative way if they are around this type of practice. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.